We're going to talk about ordinary today. Ephesians is far from ordinary. Um, but it gets to ordinary. And we're going to talk about ordinary um, today. What are some of the most ordinary things, this is a rhetorical question right now, um, that you do, that you did yesterday? Tim has been posting things about, oh, he's not in here, fixing fences and, and faucets and uh, glorious things like that. Um, what are some of the most ordinary things that you just think, yeah, I'm doing this because this is just what you do? Um, there's some laughter going on. Um, maybe you're like most of life, you know. Um, I was thinking about like first jobs, right? When you, when you start a first job, it actually has, you can have like quite a bit of meaning, right? Like, oh, this is the beginning of a lucrative career. Um, and... Uh, this is going to pay for my Friday nights out to miniature golf or whatever in my day. Um, one of my first jobs was Olin Mills. Does anyone know what Olin Mills is? It's an old photo company where families would come in and take family pictures. Those were like the cheesy ones. They were everyone's dressed up the same and awkward smiles. And my job was to cold call people and try to get them to buy packages, to buy uh, Olin Mills packages. And at first... I thought, oh yeah, I'm going to make money. And uh, you get that first sale, somebody actually does it, and you're like, whoa, this is easy. And then I think I quit like two weeks in <laughs> because it was so depressing. Um, just ordinary. Um, my second job, um, True Confessions, I may have told you this before, I was just finished baseball my senior year of high school. I wanted to make some money. My mom was very familiar with Nordstrom and told me that you could get a job at Nordstrom and make some pretty good money. And so I went in, and I turned in my application to try to become a, a probably, I was hoping to be a salesperson, but I knew I was probably going to have to do some stock boy work, you know. And uh, the person, the woman I had submitted my application to said, well, we're going to have an opening in the department you want to work in in one month, but it's not open yet. But if you want to start, I have another job available for you. And I said, okay, tell me, tell me what that job is. And she said, we need a stock boy in one of our departments. I said, okay, I can handle that. What, what department is, is open? What, where do you want me to work? And she said, women's lingerie. <laughs> As an 18-year-old boy, there's all sorts of things going on, I'm sure. Um, I'm a Christian. Can I do this? Um, I want that next job. I need to do this. What would that entail? So my second job for one month was the stock boy at a women's lingerie department in, uh, in Nordstrom. Um, ordinary. Stocking clothes. I mean, I guess that's not that ordinary. But eventually it became ordinary. Um, my mom will tell a story um, about her family, which was wonderfully ordinary family. Um, and this is a, a family story now, like beyond her, just family. Where she was, she's one of four girls, um, second oldest. Um, my, my grandma was a preschool director. My grandfather was a truck driver. Neither of them graduated from college. My grandfather didn't graduate from high school. Um, and yet, he, he, the, only, the only kind of work he did in the church was he would drive the bus um, to bring kids to and from. Everything else, he just kind of like stayed on the, on the peripheral. Um, but yet everyone would go to him. Everyone would go to him um, for wisdom and friendship. 
and truth telling. And one day my mom was playing and she was doing, you know, the ordinary stuff that a kid does. And she looked at her, at her dad, and this was, this was mid-1950s, late-1950s at the latest. And she randomly, just out of nowhere, said to her dad, Someday, dad, I'm going to marry the president. And in the mid-1950s, late-1950s, he looked right at her and said, Marry the president? You're not going to marry the president. You're going to be the president. Uh, and that story, out of this ordinary moment, became this powerful narrative um, in her life. As a child, sometimes it was annoying. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> powerful, powerful narrative. Um, and if you know my mom, she went on and, and she did quite a few things in leadership and in education that women just weren't doing um, in her day. Out of the ordinary, these powerful narratives are formed or, or emerge, and they become um, messages of hope that shape the rest of our lives. And I think in Ephesians, we have some of that going on. Paul is writing to a very ordinary group of people, a very ordinary church. And we've heard some of these powerful images and messages um, for how he describes to them the work of God in their midst. Um, I want you to just... These are some of the images um, that we've talked about. Which story are we living in? Uh, I want to read some of these to you with these images up and just hear them. And I want you to think of your ordinary life right now. The ordinary stuff that you do every day. And I want you to hear these words. Um, they're not going to be up on the screen this time. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. God planned for the climax of all times to bring all things together in Christ. God's power was at work in Christ when God raised him from the dead and sat him at God's right side in the heavens far above every ruler and authority and power, and angelic power, any power that might be named. For he is our peace has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity, making peace and in one body to reconcile. You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens, members of his household. In him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by God's Spirit. God's purpose is now to show the rulers and powers in the heavens the many different varieties of His wisdom through the church. You're not going to marry the president. You're going to be the president. Um, in Christ, we have bold and confident access to God through faith in him. And chapters 1 through 3 just pummel us literally 
with these amazing promises and images for what God's work is in the world. And then chapter 4 through 6, we just start moving down into the concreteness of life. And so the last couple weeks, we looked at the church community and we talked about the giftedness in our body and we talked about real relationships and working those out in our body. And last week, Misty talked to us about vulnerability and confession within our body. All those things have to do with this amazing, these amazing descriptions and promises that I just read. Um, this week, we get into the really everyday stuff of marriage and household and parenting and being kids of parents um, and workplace. Um, and I got a name. We've got a, we got a big obstacle in front of us, all right? We got to name it right now, and we're going to try to get over it, all right? I'm going to ask. It's a big ask of you. I know this, but we're going to name it, and then we're going to try to move, move beyond it to think maybe there's a good word here. All right? Is there a good word here? There's going to be a good word here. Um, but we have to name it, right? Um, let's just go straight to Romans um, and uh, see what is there for us. Okay, this is a quote from Aristotle. All right? And this was Roman society. Okay, this was a, a snapshot of the ordinary. Okay? And it's full of patriarchy. It's full of um, kind of unjust, inhumane, oppressive economic systems like slavery. Right? It's, it's, it's full of it. And it was the ordinary. Okay? So this is what Aristotle wrote. For the male is by nature better fitted to command than the female. And the older and fully developed person than the younger and immature. All human beings that differ as widely as the soul does from the body are by nature slaves for whom to be governed by this kind of authority is advantageous. For the free rule of the slave, the male, the female, the man, the child, in different ways. For the slave has not got the deliberative part at all, and the female has it but without full authority, while the child has it but in an undeveloped form. This is rough, right? <laughs> Think We're laughing, good, okay. <laughs> Not laughing, yeah. <laughs> laughing, not laughing, all, all acceptable responses. Um, this was the normal. This is what I want you to do. Now I want you to hear Paul, okay? And you imagine this church, this group of people who have moms and dads and kids and um, husbands, wives, slaves, masters. They're all together in the house because... The dividing wall of hostility has been torn down, we just read. That one people is being formed and made. Um, and Paul writes this to this, these clusters of people all over the Roman Empire. Um, and with this as the backdrop, this is the ordinary. I want you to hear Ephesians, and we're going to turn to each other and, and share just briefly what we hear, all right, and what we see. And submit to each other. Out of respect for Christ. For example, wives should submit to their husbands as if to the Lord. A husband is the head of his wife, like Christ is the head of the church. That is, the Savior of the body. So wives submit to their husbands in everything like the church submits to Christ. As for husbands, love your wives 
just like Christ, loved the church and gave himself for her. He did this to make her holy by washing her in a bath of water with the word. He did this to present himself with a splendid church, one without any sort of stain or wrinkle on her clothes, but in the same way as they do their own bodies. Who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hates his own body, but feeds it and takes care of it, just like Christ does for the church, because we are parts of his body. This is why a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two of them will be one body. Marriage is a significant story, and I'm applying it to Christ and the church. In any case, as, you, as for you individually, each one of you should love his wife as himself, their husband. As for children, one with a promise attached so that things will go well for you and you'll live for a long time in the land. As for parents, don't provoke your children to anger, but raise them with discipline and instruction about the Lord. As for slaves, obey your human masters with fear and trembling and with sincere devotion to Christ. Don't work to make yourself look good and try to flatter people, but act like slaves of Christ, carrying out God's will from the heart. Serve your owners enthusiastically, as though you were serving the Lord and not human beings. You know that the Lord will reward every person who does what is right, whether that person is a slave or a free person. As for masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Stop threatening them, because you know that you and your slaves have a master in heaven. He doesn't distinguish between people on the basis of status. So just real quick honest what comes up in you what do you see what do you notice um, as you read paul with aristotle in the background go for it yeah it sounds like we need to talk it out go for it yeah okay real quick what uh what'd you notice what stood out to us what caught our attention Chase. Bye-bye. Anyone track with that? Others? Too big of a hill to climb? Oh, go ahead, Megan. Yeah, Trisha. Both ones are, like you said, uh, 
That's good. All right. Yeah, Kathleen Norris says, it is the daily tasks, daily acts of love and worship that serve to remind us that religion is not strictly an intellectual pursuit. Christian faith is a way of life, not an impregnable fortress made up of ideals, not a philosophy, not a grocery list of beliefs. Did you want to say something, Deborah? Notice I'm not notice I'm not preaching. I'm letting you all talk. No. I want to preach. You're going to take all my time. Go ahead. Yeah.
Can I take the baton with the last five minutes? Thank you. <laughs> Amen. It's in the, it's, God meets us where we are. I think sometimes we cut out chapters 5 and 6 of Ephesians because it hits too close to home. And it's easy to write it off as archaic, unjust, oppressive. But what if we were to invite one another right now? Now, what, what does your household look like? What does your marriage hold? Um, how are things going with your children? Caleb, you don't have to answer that. Uh, what about your workplace and the role you play um, in that workplace? And there's a variety. And a public school and a business and a meatpacking company in Chicago, they all look very different. But there's roles and power at play. Um, homes today look very different. On my street, the homes look very different. The households, the people that live there, the generations that live there or don't, the friends that live there or don't. Um, and Paul, Paul doesn't, like... What Paul does is say, hey, see what is? The Gospels live there in your actual lives. Um, that when the Gospel is lived in our actual lives, as problematic as they will be for future generations looking back on our lives, um, newness breaks out. A different way of being breaks out. And Paul calls it in Christ. And I think that's what, if there's one thing, I've got three minutes. So if there's one thing that you take from this, I would love for us to leave here going, what does it mean for me to be a husband in Christ? To be a neighbor in Christ? To be an employer or an employee in Christ? To be a wife or a mother or a father or a housemate? Or whatever the, the, the fabric of your life looks like. Because the oppressive part about this is we've ordained this fabric of life. But if we set that aside and we focus on what Paul seems to be focusing on, because 11 times he says, like Christ, to the Lord, submit to Christ, just like Christ, like Christ, um, instruction about the Lord, um, you get the picture. Um, one master that's what he's prioritizing in this passage. Um, and he says, in the beginning, he frames this whole thing that may be a way to think about whatever our roles are, is that we would be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. That we would submit to each other out of reverence or fear of the Lord, um, that we would be courteously reverent to one another. Those are different ways to look at this. Subject, that's one I've always kind of been like, uh, but I, I thought about something this week. How do you treat a subject of a story, a subject 
of a movie. Um, not an object, but a subject. Um, you have a whole different posture, right? If we're, if we're naming categories, we're much more apt. Not always, not always. But we're much more apt to objectify people. But if we are subject with our employees, our clients, um, if we are subject with our spouse or our kids, that they're not objects in our story, but they're subjects in a shared story, um, a big story, like we've been talking about. The relationships and the nature of them can really begin to change. With that said, I think God is calling us to submit to one another also, to lay down our lives for our spouses, um, for our kids, for our parents, for the people we work with. Um, and not to too quickly write off all this because of the categories, because we, like Aaron said so well, we have our categories. We have our structures that are one day going to be frowned upon by future generations. Um, they already are. Um, um. So think about your marriage. Think about your kids. Think about your, your co-workers, your housemates. Um, think about like specific people right now. Um, and hear the word of the Lord. What does it mean to be in Christ? It means to submit, to be subjects with. It means that God planned for the climax of all time to bring you together um, in love and in grace. It means that God's power is at work in Christ. When God raised him from the dead and sat him at God's right side in the heavens, and therefore every ruler and authority and power and angelic power that affects your relationships, your workplace, they might be named. Um, like Paul names them in these household codes. Um, that in those places, those domains, God is your peace. That barriers are destroyed between you and your kids, between you and your spouse, between you and your housemates. Um, because God's purpose is to create one new humanity, making peace in one body to reconcile. Um, That you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens, members of a household together. That you're being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives. That there's different varieties of wisdom through the church. Like, welcome back, kids. All right, if we learned this yesterday. If you can hear me, clap once. If you can hear me, clap twice. If you can hear me, clap three times. Here's what I want to do, all of us together. 
I want us to remember that in Christ, who is over all and under all and in and with all, um, no matter our social location, no matter how things are going in our marriages and in our households and in our workplaces, we have bold and confident access to God through Jesus Christ. And so does your neighbor. Um, so does your neighbor. So this is what I want to do to end. Um, we're going to stand up in just a second prior to coming to the table. Um, and I'm going to open up the table here and I want us to come boldly to God's throne because of God's mercy and grace. Um, I want us to come mindful of maybe a relationship, a um, inner, inner, um, a person, a reality in our workplace and in our home that we want to say, God, I, I want to open myself up to what that means in Christ, in you. Um, and so we're going to read this off together and then we're going to come to the table and sing. And I want to just invite us into a, a, just a great time of worship. All right? On the night... When Jesus was betrayed, he was with his friends and he gave thanks. Friends that would let him down, um, friends that loved him. Um, and he broke the bread and he said, This is my body that is broken for you. whether you're a doctor or a tax collector or a fisherman or whatever you are. Um, and likewise, after supper, he took the cup of the new covenant. And he said, this is my blood that is shed for you. Come boldly into the house of the Lord, into the presence of God, um, as you are with your actual life. And as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim um, the Lord's death, God's work, until he returns. So let's stand together. Um, I'm going to ask those who are serving to come right now and just stand here in the front. And I'm going to read this first paragraph, and then we're all going to read that second paragraph together, okay? This is why I kneel before the Father. Every ethnic group in heaven or on earth is recognized by Him. I ask that He will strengthen you in your inner selves from the riches of His glory through the Spirit. I ask that Christ will live in your hearts through faith as a result of having strong roots in love. I ask that you'll have the power to grasp love's width and length, height and depth together with all believers. I ask that you'll know the love of Christ that is beyond knowledge so that you will be filled entirely with the fullness of God. Let's respond together. Glory to God who is able to do far beyond all that we could ask or imagine by his work, work within us. Glory to him in the church 
and in Christ Jesus for all generations, forever and always. Amen. Let's worship together as we come and celebrate the Lord's meal.